0: Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 14 and beginning of verse 14 again. And here we are. Come now to an even more sobering moment in Scripture where God is ready for Christ to enact the final judgment. And this is something Jesus foreshadowed in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34, 31 through 46, which we'll, uh, I will read for you in just a few moments. But before we do... I think it's important for us to understand and be reminded uh, to ourselves that this is a final judgment that is still out there in the future. The timing we don't know, but we know it's not right now. The Great Commission hasn't been completed yet, so it's likely not today. God is still working. God is still moving. And he's allowing us a moment. He is allowing for a moment of turning for people who have yet to enter into death's final moment. We are hearing, if you have paid attention at all to what is happening in our country, we're hearing of something amazing, a movement of God that seems to be happening among a generation of people, we almost wrote off like it couldn't happen again, that somehow God couldn't overcome the challenges that face the current generation of college students and middle school students and high school students in our own town, our middle school had 380-something kids at FCA this week. God is working in a generation that we just assumed God couldn't do anything in. But we assumed wrong because God is God. God still works. God still moves. And God is still powerful to move today in your life and my life. God is still powerful to move in this moment. And I wonder, what are we doing to hinder his movement? What are we doing to assume that he can't do it again in our own hearts, in our own lives? What are we holding on to? What are we keeping for ourselves that is hindering the Lord from working in my life and in your life? God is moving. God has moved even here in these in, this wall, in these walls, in this moment, last week, God moved in a tangible, powerful way here as well. And there is work to be done before this final judgment is enacted, lest we forget. And let's keep that in our minds as we today see this moment of finality that will come. In our passage today, we see that harvest time has come in this moment in the far off in the future that we are yet to understand when that will happen it seems in this moment two judgments are being enacted here and many commentators say they are one in the same some say they both represent judgment of people found in the end in their sin some commentators commentators say they are both joined together to represent two sides of the same judgment And some say it is one judgment of salvation to the righteous. So we're going to read this passage, dig in to see what is yet to come and what we can come away with for ourselves. Would you, in the honoring of the reading of God's word, would you stand, if you're able, as we read what happens in this final, this moment of finality and this enacting of this final judgment in Revelation Chapter 14, verse 14 through 20. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, Use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come, since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel who had also a sharp sickle came out of the temple in heaven. Yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, "'Use your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of grapes from the vineyard of the earth, because its grapes have ripened.'" So the angel swung his sickle at the earth and gathered the grapes— from the vineyard of the earth, and he threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And the press was trampled outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press up to the horse's bridles for about 180 miles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you be seated, please? We see that the harvest is ripe and ready to be gathered And how should we go forward? How should we move forward understanding these things? Two things become clear to us, I think. Number one, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. I don't want to get lost in the whole, this commentator said this, and this commentator said that, and this commentator said that. I don't want to get lost in what all this could mean and be and get lost in the truth that I think is here because I think there are principles that we can take from this regardless of what that means exactly and when that might come. I don't want to try to determine exactly which judgment this is. Uh, is and I don't think it's the, of utmost importance. I think we can walk away with some principles that are true no matter which one it is, I think a key to this is the things Jesus said while on earth about the harvest. Sometimes we, we, we. We stay in this passage in these passages, and we don't know what they truly mean. We don't know what's going on because we don't gather context from other passages of Scripture. And so I want to look at what Jesus said. I think it will help us unlock some of this and understand the principles that are here. So let's read together Matthew chapter 25 because I think it's a pretty good parallel for this passage. It's a twofold gathering, Jesus foreshadowed, and it parallels well with this passage. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, and you'll have to test your skills at flipping back and forth if you want to read it, because it's not on the screen. So grab a Bible if you want to read it with me, but I want you to hear what it says, because it's a parallel, I think, to this passage. It helps us understand it. Better. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, it sounds a lot like this passage in Revelation. Jesus here is speaking to those who are listening in, it's the disciples, it's religious leaders— he is engaging them in understanding what the kingdom that he is ushering in looks like and will look like. And this is what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he, will be, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from the other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you, who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. When they too... When they too Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We see that both passages mention son of man, In Matthew, he's gathered everyone to put them into one or two camps, goats and sheep. In Revelation, that harvesting is about to take place. In a large discourse in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is outlining his kingdom, what it's like and what it takes to get in, while describing the times we now see more clearly. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus does that. And now we see it more clearly in John's visions in the book of Revelation. Jesus mentions the righteous being addressed first and saying they could inherit what was prepared for them. And then he says, it's because of how they treated him by how they treated people. He says that some were naked and he clothed them. Some were uh, hungry and he fed them. They fed them. Some were uh, in need of a place to stay and they gave them a place to stay. You see, uh, these people cared for other people in the name of Jesus and because of that were counted among the righteous. They followed Jesus' uh, Jesus's truth when, when he was asked What is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They are one in the same. They are synonymous with one another. One feeds into the other. The other feeds into the other. Remember, this final judgment is still out there somewhere. And this all reminds me of another time when Jesus speaks of the harvest in Matthew chapter 9, 25 through 38. And what he says there is Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. God is still working. God is still moving. But he needs people ready to be used by him. And that's what we need to do. That's why we're praying for our circle That's why we're saying, hey, there's people out there, you know them that don't know the Lord, and God has placed you in their life to be a light for the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He needs you and I to get over ourselves, to get over this life. To go over what's going to happen tomorrow and live for Jesus today with passion and zeal. You want to see a move of God in this building? You want to see a move of God in Lafayette, Georgia? You want to see a move of God in Walker County? Then the people of God need to get off their rear ends and do something for the Lord because he's working and he's moving and he's you and I to do the work. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So let's pray for more of us to do the work of the Lord. I read a a quote this week from Leonard Ravenhill, who spoke a lot about revivals. Because what we're seeing is this amazing move of God, and it started in one spot and it moved to others, and it's all over the place. And what Leonard Ravenhill says is the only reason we don't see revival is because we are content to live without it. If half the Christians in America were as interested in the kingdom of God as they are in the Dow Jones average, we'd have revival. God pity us that after years of writing, using mountains of paper and rivers of ink, In exhausting, flashy terminology about the biggest revival meetings in history, we are still faced with the gross corruption in every nation as well as with the most prayerless church age since Pentecost, men and women aflame is the need of the hour. Oh, to be 10,000 times hotter for the Lord, to be incandescent with the fire of the Holy Ghost until all that this earthly part of me glows with his fire divine. You and I need to be ready to do the work of the Lord, to love the naked, sick, sick, despondent the people in the world that Jesus had compassion over you and I need the flame of God in our lives so that we can see God move hot and fresh again in our community and in this nation if we want revival then we are the things the ones holding it back I just feel like that. And he's an amen, man. Come on, I'm preaching up here. I'm doing my best. Come on, give me some feedback. The Lord needs us to work and move and do his work. The second thing we see, the harvest is plentiful, but blood covers a multitude of sin. The more I study this passage, I, I think the second harvest here about the grapes is what Matthew 25 goes on to describe it talks about those who were gathered up as goats caught up in wickedness gathered together and ultimately cast away but one commentator i read took a different approach and by so doing brought up something of a great point that i didn't see and i don't want us to miss as we think about the blood up to the horse's bridle it's quite a jolting image. This is hyperbolic, but it helps us see the extent of the carnage that will eventually be wrought because of the final judgment, the grapes of the wrath of God being finally enacted. This commentator reminded me of another time that the wrath of God Was placed on someone outside the city, as this passage describes. It reminds me of the time when the Lord Jesus' blood was spilled because God's wrath was upon him instead of me. God's wrath was placed on Jesus instead of you. Here's the key people do not have to face the eventual wrath. Of God, that this passage describes. Because the wrath of God was already placed on one who stands in their place. All they must do is heed the words of the Lord Jesus when he says, Call unto me, all who are here weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When he says, if, when, when Paul says, 'If anyone wants to be saved, call the name of the Lord, and you will be saved.' Friends, the wrath of God can is going to be enacted one day on people who do not live for the Lord. It's going to be enacted on people that we love and cherish and that we care about. The wrath of God will one day be placed upon them. But as long as there is breath in our lungs, as long as that there is life and the Lord tarries, we have an opportunity to tell people about the wrath of God already being placed on someone else in their stead. All they need to do is believe on Him. A person merely needs to place their trust on Jesus Christ to avoid the wrath mentioned here outside the city. You see, there's truly power in the blood of Jesus to forgive people caught up in their sin, to offer them forgiveness and cleansing and hope and eternal life in Jesus Christ. There is a place where people can receive the eternal love of Jesus rather than the eternal wrath of God. But to do that, a hard thing must happen. People must have godly grief for their egregious sins against the holy God and therefore confess and repent of their sins and fall headlong on the grace of Jesus Christ. And how will they know if we don't go? How will they know if we don't tell them? How will they know if we don't plead with them to fall on the mercy of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you know that you are destined for the end that is described here, one day receiving the full wrath of God, no longer stayed off of you, no longer held back from you. Maybe you know that and you don't want to receive that. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ, because if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the wrath has already been placed on Jesus for you, on your, on your behalf. But maybe you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and you know that what is outlined here, you just know it, is destined for you. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Maybe maybe you're here today, and you're convicted, and you realize— I want the Lord to bring revival in my heart. I want God to do something in my life. I'm tired of being apathetic to the Lord. I'm tired of of just watching him move in other people's lives and I wanna see him move in mine. What do you need to confess before the Lord? What do you need to repent of today to see God move and work again in you and among us? What do you need to bring before the Lord? Come to Jesus today. Come to the Lord today. He's, oh, he's waiting with arms wide open to give you his love. I want to pray and ask that our team to come and lead us in a song that just helps us really reverberate those words that Jesus is waiting. Come to the altar to him. Let's pray, Lord. We pray that you would work and move in our midst in this moment Lord that we would seek and understand Lord that you are here you are waiting Lord the final judgment hasn't come yet grace is extended today and that we can believe on you Lord Jesus would you work in our lives would you work in our midst would you help us to come to you Lord if you're here today and just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed if you would because I just want you to do business with the Lord right now what does he seek what is seek him what is he saying to you what is he leading you to do how is God moving in your heart what does he want to do in your life in this moment we've got some folks that are coming forward in just a moment and they'll be here to pray with you to walk with you to help you to to know what to do and how to move forward They're, they're here just to cry with you if needed they're here to lead you to faith in Christ if needed I'm here I'd love to share with you would you come whatever God is leading you to in this moment would you come to the altar would you come to Jesus would you come to this moment would you come to him expecting him to work and move again would you come Eating his words. Lord, we pray that you would move as only you can, God. Would you move in our lives? Would you move in our hearts? There's work to be done. The harvest is plentiful, Lord. You need workers. Help us to be what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. Would you stand as you stand? Believe on the Lord Jesus today. I wanted to share one quote with you that I read as I was studying from Frank L. Cox. It says, The ministry of mercy is the Lord's chosen office. The ministry of wrath is His stern necessity. Fall on the mercy of Jesus while it's still available. Would you Fall on Jesus today. Call on Him. Come to the altar. Let's sing. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling.